Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. We are talking about staying calm under pressure this week. First, with John Mualam, whose book This Is Chance tells the real story of an Alaska radio announcer, Jeannie Chance, who basically helped keep her entire town functioning after a devastating earthquake in 1964. Finally, a story where the hero is a radio announcer. It's long overdue. Uh, then we're going to be talking to Nora McInerney about the heroism that goes into parenting during a pandemic. All parents out there listening to this know what I'm talking about. Uh, then I'm going to try to keep myself calm under the self-created pressure of talking to one of my musical idols, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco. It's going to take a couple deep breaths. I'm feeling calm. I'm ready for this next episode of Livewire, which gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Elena. Hey there, Luke. You got a new haircut. It looks great. Thank you for noticing. Is this how you're processing pandemic stress? Absolutely. You've gotten more haircuts during the pandemic <laughs> than anyone else I know. Well, it's just that there's no such thing as a trim because it's such an ordeal to go. Mm-hmm. I always try to get tested before I go. And then yeah. I go up to Portland and then we go and eat in one of the outdoor, you know, where you're just eating in a parking space. So it's this whole thing. So I feel like I should do a momentous thing. And so every time I get a drastic haircut, I'm going to be bald really soon. (laughs) Well, it looks great. I think it was money and time well spent. I've been going to a a much less fancy place in Portland where they make me watch a tutorial about COVID on an iPad (laughs) off of YouTube every time I get my haircut. And I said, I've watched this tutorial three times now. And they said, can't be too careful. (laughs) All right. You ready to do this radio show? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Molly, are we recording? We're rolling. All right. Take it away, Elena. From PRX. It's LifeWire, recorded from our actual houses. Welcome to the LifeWire House Party. This week, writer John Mualam, podcaster Nora McInerney, and music from Wilco frontman Jeff Tweedy. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, from a small room just off his kitchen, the host of LifeWire, Luke Thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. 
We are going to be talking about handling pressure. You know, like, for instance, I don't know the kind of pressure one might feel when trying to keep one's children entertained <laughs> as we approach a year of all being quarantined together. Uh, that's actually what our listener question this week is related to. We asked the LiveWire listeners, what is the silliest way that you have been entertaining yourself and or your children during quarantine? Uh, we've gotten those answers. We're going to read those coming up in a little bit. First, though, I'm very excited about this. A new segment here at the top of the show because, of course, it can feel a little bleak out there sometimes. And we thought it was important to remember that there still is some good news happening in the world. This is our new segment, The Best News I Heard This Week. What's the best news you've heard this week, Elena? Uh, well, um, like often in my life, I got to turn to the birds, Mr. Uh -huh. Burbank. Mr. Birdbank. Sure. Yes, right. <laughs> so what's the bird-related good news that you've heard? Okay, so there is a teensy-weensy-eensy little bird called the Interior Least Turn. Which, Whoa. if that doesn't give you a, a inferiority complex, the interior least <laughs> Those turn. are three words that are associated <laughs> with other things outside of birds. It's true. Well, maybe that's one of the reasons why uh, in 1985 it got put on the endangered species list. Um, okay. It's this adorable little bird with this gorgeous black head and these kind of big tail feathers, but it's quite small. Um it was used in hats, and then it, it oh. spends half its life along the Mississippi River up and down the Midwest, and a lot of its habitat was destroyed by things like dam building. Mm -hmm. But um, it just got, last week, taken off the endangered species list. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's the, great. The Fish and Wildlife Service says that dozens of states, federal agencies, tribes, businesses, and conservation groups came together for a three-decade-long campaign, and it worked. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. It's a really cute bird, too. So if you want to have good news, just look at a picture of this cutie pie bird because it's great. Speaking of cutie pies, remember right after the inauguration, Bernie Sanders became a total meme because yeah. he was sitting there in the cold, just kind of uh, like apparently living kind of in his own world. Yeah. No, I, I got to the point last week where I was looking for Bernie Sanders in every single social media image that I yeah. saw because I knew I would find him. Like somebody's That's baby right. picture. It was like Waldo or yeah. something. Yeah. Well, this week, the big news related to that was the internet has figured out who actually made the mittens the that Bernie Sanders mittens. is wearing in that now iconic photo. And it's a second grade teacher from Essex Junction, Vermont. Oh, my God. It is a person named Jen Ellis. And Elena, uh, she is my new hero. Really? First of all, the mittens are uh, upcycled. They're old wool sweaters that maybe people have grown out of oh. or that became, you know, torn or moth-eaten. Mm -hmm. The inside is fleece, which she has found at a secondhand store or somewhere else. It's recycled plastic. Whoa. She's been using her grandmother's old sewing thread to sew them together. Whoa. This woman actually knows Bernie Sanders, I believe it's uh, daughter-in-law, because mm -hmm. she runs a preschool that this woman's kid goes to. So she made an extra set of mittens and gave them to this uh, relative of Bernie Sanders and said, I don't know, maybe he would like these. He loves them. He wears them all the time. <laughs> and all these people have now been calling and emailing this woman, Jen Ellis, to try to get her to license the mittens. You know, they want us mm -hmm. to start producing these at some large scale. Mm -hmm. And she is totally uninterested in doing that. She wants to keep teaching 
her second graders there in Vermont. This was the quote from her. She said, as we speak, she did an interview with Slate Magazine. She said, as we speak, I'm teaching reading lessons in a little rural Vermont school with snow gently falling. (laughs) This is a really lovely flash in the pan, but I know that it's not going to last. I need to keep my day job. Uh, She says, the path that I'm already on brings me a tremendous amount of joy, and I think that's the greatest symbol of success, right? Mm. Like, have in this day and age, it is so rare mm-hmm. that somebody who has a chance to 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 go big time mm-hmm. with whatever they did that became viral, it's so rare that somebody says, "Nah, I'm good." Yeah, teaching second graders in Vermont. That's very Vermont too to be like, "Man, right. you know, I don't <laughs> want that." Yeah, I I was very encouraged. By that. I want this woman to be my new life coach <laughs> because I would be. I would be out of there. My infomercial would already be airing. I would already have made a million dollars and lost a million dollars by like next week, Elena. So. <laughs> but a self-made anyway. and self-ruined man. That's and- <laughs> right. That's going to be on my tombstone. All right. Great. I think we're feeling better already. That is the best news we've heard all week. All right. Let's get our first guest over here to the house party. He was actually on our very first episode of the Live Wirehouse Party. This was back in March of 2020 when we started doing these shows from our homes, Elena. Mm. I figured this would be like three weeks max. Same. Like, <laughs> yeah. Let's set up some microphones at our houses. We'll do this. And then b- probably by, I don't know, like early April. Yeah. Be back at the Alberta Rose Theater. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was on the show back in those days to talk about this book that he wrote called This is Chance, The Shaking of an All-American City. Uh, It's the story of how the town of Anchorage, Alaska, responded to this huge earthquake back in 1964. And the theme of dealing with things feeling unpredictable, Mm -hmm. that felt very relevant. Mm -hmm. We first had John on the show a year ago, (laughs) and it still feels very relevant to this day. So take a listen to this. It's John Mualem on the Livewire House Party, recorded back in March of last year. John Mualem, welcome to the Livewire House Party. Thank you so much for having me at your house party. This is very different than the last time we had you on Livewire. That was in a theater. There was a crowd. Uh, what for you uh, is a, is a more anxiety-producing thing, to be like on a stage with real people or to just be in a weird Zoom conference call with me and Elena? I think uh, this is more nerve-wracking. I mean, I've, I've been on stage before. I've never been wedged into a weird <laughs> plush pillow in my bathroom talking to you on a computer uh, long distance. So uh, I, I fear the new. <laughs> um, aside from this recording, how generally are you holding up being mostly trapped at home? Uh, you know, pretty pretty well, actually. I, I really don't have anything to complain about in my immediate life. Um, you know, I'm a writer who works at home. I go many, many days without seeing people. Usually it, it takes some effort for me to get within six feet of people usually. <laughs> so, um, I, it's, my life has really not changed to, to the degree that, uh, this kind of national crisis might make you think. Um, speaking of, of, of crises, let's start at the kind of, uh, critical moment of this book. This is chance. Uh, it's the 1964 Alaska earthquake. Um, I have to admit, I was not familiar with this event, which, as I read the book, continued to completely shock me just in terms of its magnitude, um, literally and figuratively. For people that don't remember this, can you kind of give a sense of what an event this was? This happened on Good Friday evening uh, in Alaska in 1964, in March 1964. And yeah, it was a 9.2 magnitude quake. Um, it's the largest quake in North American history. It's the second largest in the world. 
And, you know, even more kind of um, brutal and surreal was that it, in Anchorage, at least, the shaking lasted for about four and a half minutes. Um, I've been trying to describe it this way. So if you put on Stevie Wonder's I Just Called to Say I Love You when the shaking started, uh, the song would finish and then you would still sort of be thrashing around for another 10 seconds. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that you're writing about, uh, in particular, the experience of a journalist in Anchorage named Jeannie Chance. But you're writing about her and her son are in their car when it starts, and she's trying to figure out what's going on. She thinks it's a blown tire, and everything is swaying, and buildings are coming apart and coming back together. And then you just mentioned casually that this is like almost five minutes. This earthquake was so unprecedented that people had a hard time wrapping their minds around what was actually happening, which I feel like is also being played out in the current day. Mm-hmm. You know, I read hundred, literally hundreds of firsthand accounts, uh, many of which were gathered up by this reporter, Jeannie Chance, after the quake. And this phenomenon happens again and again, where you can just see that people cannot find the word or the idea to encapsulate what's happening to them, that the world has just turned, you know, so bizarre uh, during this time that it takes their minds uh, a little while to catch up, even come up with the word earthquake. You know, like one guy is uh, kneeling down by this car trying to start this car and he and he just feels his body heaving side to side and starts to feel dizzy and just assumes he's having a heart attack. Um, so, yeah, there's this dissonance. There's this inability to, to realize that, you know, the world is actually convulsing. Uh, this is Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. I'm at my actual house down at her house in Corvallis is our announcer, Elena Passarello. And then John Mualem is here as well. He's the author of the new book, This is Chance, The Shaking of an All-American City. He is um, cocooned in his bathroom telling us about his new book. So this journalist, Jeannie Chance, who is kind of the centerpiece of this book, uh, what was her job at the time of this earthquake happening in Alaska? Yeah, Jeannie was uh, a pretty fascinating and unique figure for the time. You know, she was a, a woman, she'd worked in radio for a couple of years in Anchorage at the time of the quake, but really only in the last year or so had she uh, kind of transcended the expectations of what a woman should be doing in broadcasting at the time. So usually, you know, the few women that were working in radio, at least in Alaska at that time, were having, you know, recipe swap shows or shows about homemaking and things like that. You know, women's concerns is how one, one uh, letter I found described it. And whereas Jeannie really, um, you know, through her own talent and her own persistence, kind of muscled her way into this role as a kind of roving reporter around Anchorage. So she had this little radio unit in her car and she would just range all over Anchorage and all over the greater Anchorage area and report on whatever was was going on. Um, you know, Jeannie Chance, KENI News on the Go. That was her sort of tagline. Um, and her voice was really part of the fabric of the city at that at that time. It was a voice you'd hear every day kind of telling you what was happening in town. How did she end up in this role of kind of almost like crisis coordinator for this whole city? She was most surprised uh, of all, I think, initially. So it was really just a a quirk of luck that she happened to be downtown when the earthquake hit. Um, And she was she was running an errand with her son. Uh, And so when the radio station finally got back on the air about an hour after the the um, the quake was was finished, she was really one of the only people at the station who was in any sort of position to describe what had just happened. She'd seen a lot of the damage downtown herself. She'd uh, kind of hustled around a lot of key areas downtown, just trying to absorb what would happen so that when she got back on the air, she could report on it. And from there, she wound up actually broadcasting from inside the police station 
for the next several days. So she was, um, you know, passing messages from city officials, you know, we need diesel fuel over here, or uh, we need a doctor here. And then also passing messages from individual people trying to find their kids or their sisters or their husbands, or to just tell those people that they were okay. This is the Live Wire House Party coming to you by way of PRX. I'm Luke Burbank at my house. Elena Passarello is at her home, and we are playing an interview with the writer John Mualam. His book is This Is Chance. Uh, we got to take a very quick break, but don't go anywhere because we will be right back. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of I'm probably a 501c3 they don't let me near any of the paperwork mm-hmm. or bookkeeping and it's really better that way yes. point is we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members and we would love it if you could join us in that right now plus there are all kinds of sweet perks including uh special discounted tickets to live recordings on-air shout outs exclusive content uh, and Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping Livewire going. So head on over to livewireradio.org to see the various member levels it does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my. There's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, we are listening back to an interview with the writer John Mualam that we recorded last March. Uh, he joined us to talk about his book, This Is Chance. Check it out. Uh, this book is about this 1964 earthquake that happened in Alaska and uh, was incredibly damaging to, in particular, Anchorage, Alaska. I have to say, John, as I was reading this book this week, 
uh, there were some things that were eerily similar to what we're all going through right now and some things that were very dissimilar. One thing that seemed to kind of echo for me was this this feeling for the folks living in Alaska at this time that everything about their life had changed in a matter of moments. Now, it's been more than five minutes that we've been dealing with the shutdowns around the country, but I think a lot of people are also having that sense that like life is never going to be the same. What, what do you feel like you have gleaned about our current situation from having spent a bunch of time immersing yourself in the response that these folks had in Alaska in 1964? You know, one of the things that I think I first uh, related to in in the research that I was finding was just this predicament of Anchorage, even before the quake, this this sense that everything about this community was provisional, that, you know, they were the biggest city in Alaska. They really thought that they were at the forefront of showing, you know, what this new state could offer the rest of America. But they also knew that they hadn't really figured out how to have a sustaining economy. Um, and there was this mix of aspiration and anxiety that, that maybe this wasn't going to hold. Maybe, uh, you know, at some point, uh, as one guy put it to me, you know, we, we weren't all going to leave, but you know, we might. <laughs> and, right. uh, so what I think working on the book for so long just made me internalize this understanding that life is always jagging like this in, in one way or another. There's these swerves all over the place where, something that's unimaginable suddenly becomes real life. Uh, I don't know if I was any better prepared for what's happening now. I'm not going to, I'm not going to claim that, but we all bring our own skill set to these moments of, of crisis. You know, Jeannie happened to have a job where she talked on the radio. She gathered information. She distributed on the radio. That was exactly what was needed in the situation she walked into and she filled that role. So I think we just all need to look for those opportunities and do the best that we can with them. And I think it must have been about three years ago, John, that I heard through the grapevine that you were doing a radio play about the Anchorage earthquake. Um, and I'm assuming that you hadn't written the book by then. So how, how did that factor into your process of working through this project? That was um, a really phenomenal opportunity. Um, so I'd done a couple projects with a group of musicians, um, most of whom are members of the Decemberists. Um, Portland Zone. Oh, um, your your theme song designers, yeah. Yes, yes that's right. right for your walking <laughs> yeah. podcast. Um, so we were we were hoping to do another thing together, and uh, you know we're given an opportunity to do that by uh, the podcast Ninety Nine Percent Invisible. And I thought, oh, here's a chance to really you know clear the time to go a little bit deeper in here and see what's there. So it was really a way to test um, you know whether whether it could be a book. And yeah, we did some. We put together this show that was uh, sort of me narrating the story of the quake with music and, uh, you know, 99% of visibles, Roman Mars and Avery Truffleman both played some of the characters. And I guess by that time, by the time we'd finished that project, I had just amassed so much material and I was just blown away by the resolution at which a lot of these stories had been captured and preserved mm -hmm. that it felt like, you know, how can I not uh, tell the story? I mean, literally people, I, I would track down survivors of the quake uh, and then, and some of these people, you know, they didn't live to see me finish the book. You know, it just really mm -hmm. felt like the story was slipping away. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was not, by the time we were done with that project, I was already pretty much off and running. It just didn't really even feel like a choice anymore. Well, John Mualem, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we release you now to go back to taking care of your children who are barely on the other side of a very thin bathroom door somewhere in your house. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, guys. Bye, John. Bye. That was John Mualem from back in March of last year, recorded here on the Livewire House Party. 
John is a writer at large for the New York Times Magazine, uh, so you will see his work popping up there from time to time. Uh, he's also host of the surprisingly listenable podcast, <laughs> Walking, which is just recordings of his daily walks Your jam, near right? his house Yeah, in Bainbridge Island in Washington State. Uh, you can get that wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks this week to Jen Healy of Sisters, Oregon, and Anna Rankin of Bellingham, Washington. Jen and Anna are part of the Livewire member community and are generously supporting our show with a donation each month. We're very thankful for that support because it's how we're able to do the show. So a huge thanks to both Jen and Anna for keeping Livewire going. This is the Live Wire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right, each week, of course, we like to ask the Live Wire listeners a question and get their responses this week. What's the silliest way you entertain yourself and or your children during quarantine? Uh, neither you or I have young children no. at home, no. Elena. Even my cats are old. I'm sure you're doing a lot to entertain your cats. <laughs> I mean that. Very sincerely. What are the <laughs> listeners saying are the ways that they're entertaining themselves or their children during quarantine? This one from Amanda is just too adorbs. Uh, entertaining children by, quote, watching the Great British Baking Show with my girls, five and two, and then trying to make Paul Hollywood proud by doing our own technical challenge. This week, we did wagon wheels. I baked. The girls critiqued. My littlest is a very tough judge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wonder if a very, very small silver lining of of quarantine will be that just, I mean, across the globe, really, we will emerge as as humans who are much better at baking. I feel Mm -hmm. like just the people's sourdough game is going to be much elevated. I mean, we have had this enforced time to pursue hobbies and to really dial in things like baking uh, like we never would have otherwise. True. No, true. There's definitely been a lot of baking energy, but not a lot of mailing baked goods to me, which I would like Mm -hmm. to talk to America about. Sure. Uh, What's another thing that the listeners are doing to entertain themselves? Uh, (laughs) Here's a great one from Christy. Household-style Olympic Games. We started a house-cleaning Olympics where each family member tries to complete household chores as fast as they can. The kids have a blast, and our house is cleaner than ever. (laughs) I I didn't have very many parenting strategies, but this, I'm going to time you. I mean, this will honestly get you very far as far as a parent. It's just, hey, I'm going to time you. How long can we be quiet? I'm going to time you. How long can you sleep for? How long can you sleep for? I'm going to time you. How many beers can you get, Daddy? No, just that's more of a counting thing. But yeah, just kids love to be timed. But doesn't that affect their success rate? Like, does the things really get clean when they are running around like little Tasmanian devils? I, I mean, I guess that's a fair a critique, but it is definitely much more fun when it feels like a game, right? Yeah, it's true. Mary Poppins. That's right. A spoonful of um, competition. (laughs) All right. What's uh, something else silly that the listeners are doing to entertain themselves? How about this one from Carla? We've been racing our pet turtles, ivory and pebbles, (laughs) on our kitchen floor. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see a video of that. I would like a video of that submitted to Ariana Donneville, our social media manager, so we can put it up somewhere on the Livewire, you know, video stream. And I wonder, how do you... 
How do you entice the turtles to race? What do you put across the finish line to get them excited and get them hustling? Have you seen that video of the British turtle or tortoise who pushes a soccer ball? Just sort of trots alongside its owner and and uses its little head retractor mechanism to like pool cue a soccer ball across a garden, the British garden. No, who knew turtles were that athletic? Yeah, man, they can get at it. (laughs) All right. Uh, This is the Livewire House Party. We are talking, of course, about, well, trying to stay calm under pressure. And that can be really hard to do when you're trying to raise young children at home. It's probably one of the biggest dividing lines in terms of how we're all experiencing quarantine and lockdown Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, You and I don't have young kids at home, Elena, but you know who does? (laughs) Our friend Nora McInerney, who hosts the podcast. Terrible. Thanks for asking. By the way, she named it that before she was at home (laughs) trying to educate her children during a pandemic. She also co-founded the nonprofit Still Kicking. Her most recent books are No Happy Endings and The Hot Young Widows Club. We talked to Nora at the beginning of the pandemic about what it has been like as a parent being locked down with your kids all day. Um, And that is a situation that is still very relevant to many of our listeners even right now. So Mm -hmm. let's take a listen to this. This is our talk with Nora McInerney from March of last year. Hi, Nora. Welcome to the Live Wire House Party. Is it obvious that I have children right now? <laughs> I, have, I have two little kids. Yeah. One is seven, one is three, and is um, he's folding my yoga mat like a burrito with himself inside it <laughs> right now. And then we have two older kids. I got to say, older kids are what you want in case of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. You, want, you want kids who can wipe their own butts, who can feed themselves, who can watch, who can watch a movie with you and, and stay up past 10. Mm-hmm. They're great right now, I have to say. And also, so are these two. <laughs> the ones that are in the room with you. So there's yeah. four kids total under your roof still? Yeah. Mom, can you turn the volume on on that? No, I, only I can hear the volume on on this. So, Nora, who do you have in the room with you there? This is Baby. Can okay. you say hi, Baby? <laughs> he's, uh, like, we can already tell that he's, we can save some money on his college tuition. He's just going to go straight to the frat. And then this is Ralphie. <laughs> hi, hi, Ralphie. Hey, Ralphie. Um, for you, Nora, how much are you and your husband trying to, like, talk to your younger kids about this stuff in a realistic way versus not stressing them out? Yeah, I think that uh, TBD, I think we're talking to them more about it as a choice that we're making for the good of other people Mm. versus, and and for your own health, but also like this is what we all have to do Mm -hmm. to keep everybody safe versus we can't go out because it's too dangerous. But also... I mean, we probably I, I kids pick up on your anxiety. Kids yeah. pick up on on your worries, and um, and I remember that as a kid. And yet, like, we'll sit down to dinner, and we're always like, "Oh, what are your highs and lows?" And I'm like, "Well, my lows are, you know, a lot of my friends are getting laid off." And I'm like, "Why am I doing this? Like, why am I doing this to our children?" Or I'm like, "You know, a lot of businesses are closing. I don't know that the world will ever be the same. Uh, I feel like I swallowed a brick." And uh, other than that, I'd say pretty good day. Pretty good day. Pretty good day. Um, even as we've been having this conversation, your kids are in the background and this is only one of many work things that you have during a given day. What is it like trying to work and parent from home under these conditions? 
Okay, understanding that I am extremely lucky because I don't have to go anywhere to do my work, and I never have. I, I It is also just extremely stressful because I feel like I'm not good at anything, um, nor can you get any sort of concentration towards anything. So the workday never begins and also never ends, and neither does your your parenting day. And like modern parenting, you actually spend very little time with your children. <laughs> it's, um, you see, I, I'm used to seeing them in the morning, getting them off to school, having like a, a six to eight hour break, then coming home, having dinner, doing some highs and lows, maybe watching an episode of The Simpsons, and then going to sleep for eight hours. And now we're together all the time, wow. which is... <laughs> Like other people have done this for a long time. Like I I truly have like a respect for stay at home parents that I did not before. And I'm married to one. (laughs) It's twice as grueling as having a job and being a parent. This is the Live Wire House Party. We are talking to Nora McInerney, host of the Terrible Thanks for Asking podcast, author of many books um, about what it's like to try to parent young children in during this whole COVID thing. Um, When this whole thing started, obviously it was scary for everybody but did you have any like secret fantasies about i don't know just things that you would be able to get done or accomplish uh or like get in great shape or or read that book you've always wanted to read no no and i think only because uh my prior experience with isolation has been sickness and grief and uh being with my husband who had Uh, stage four brain cancer and then being uh, a widowed mom where I approached those things as if like that time could somehow be mastered and repurposed and productive. And I am, you honestly, you got to stop both of you. I asked you to be quiet when I, no, both of you stop. I don't want you. I don't want you to say he did it. You're both doing it. I asked both of you to stop. Okay. That's all I want. Yeah, I can. There you go. Now, can you stop doing that? Okay. Uh, okay. So I've I've since learned to not like worship at this altar of productivity, and not to see every expanse of time as something that needs to be optimized. I am actually very much into the whatever the op opposite of optimization is right now. So my my expectations for this time are really really low. And and in fact, I kind of think I've dialed back a little bit some of that sort of frenetic energy or I've focused it into different places, but it's not um, – I, I, I have no illusions about me – um, you know, writing a book in this period or or learning a language. I am more like, how can I keep things as good as possible in these different areas that used to have pretty cut and dry, like, beginnings and ends? Now, I mean, they're all blended together. I could not tell you what day it is right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a way, life has changed drastically. And in another way, all of the same stuff still applies mm-hmm. uh, the same to stuff a lot applies. of people. Yes. In no way are you obligated to uh, to to make any any lemonade out of this time. Like right. it, it is it is fine. I feel like there's this frantic rush towards one assigning meaning or two like making it okay or being like how normal can we make this feel when really it's not normal. It shouldn't feel normal. It shouldn't feel comfortable. Right. Um and and that is okay. 
Uh, this is the Livewire House Party. We're doing the show from home. Uh, as uh, many of you are also, of course, working at home, we're talking to somebody who's been working from home for a long time and now is doing it with all of her children there, pretty much yeah. 247. Nora McInerney, host of the podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking, and uh, co-founder of Still Kickin'. Um, Nora, uh, one of the things that people know you for through your TED Talk and a lot of your writing is being somebody who has navigated a lot of grief in your own life, and you help a lot of other people through their grief. Um are people reaching out to you at a, a, a sort of increased rate right now? Do you feel, feel like people are actually grieving what's happening with this COVID stuff? Yes and no. And I think there's been – I mean, uh, yes, people uh, – don't worry. My phone is ringing off the hook. I am <laughs> – The grief COVID's, hotline The grief hotlines are lighting up. Blow it up. We are, we are COVID ready here. Uh, this has always been a solitary and lonely endeavor. And so why should now be any different? But – in some ways, um, I think that there has been this open sort of expansion of the idea of grief, which has always been true, which is that grief is not just death, right? That that grief is not just about when somebody dies, that you can and do grieve a lot of different things throughout a lifetime. And there's been that expansiveness, but also still the people who have been in this kind of misery before, who have you know, been suffering for a long time are like, welcome to the club. But like, we've been here. Could you just acknowledge that, that like we've been here too? Like, yeah. and I do think that's really fair. And I also know that it is a very natural human thing to not just compare your experiences and compare your losses, but also compare what you like the compassion that you received or didn't receive from different people. And that's not a particularly generous place to sit. It doesn't feel good to be sort of running the scoreboard of, you know, who got, uh, you know, more more empathy or more attention or, or more, well, we don't do hugs anymore uh, over <laughs> over their, their loss or their suffering. But I do understand that impulse for people who um, who have lost people, it, like through this pandemic or who have truly been displaced and suffered and that concern that like there won't be enough for them because mm. there hasn't been like there hasn't been enough like empathy to go around. And that is why like people have experienced compassion and empathy on a sliding scale. So I felt that level of complication from people. And I've also felt myself like oh i've been here before a little bit mm -hmm. now what mm -hmm. and a lot of people people who have experienced death people who have already lost their health in various ways like they've they've felt this level of uncertainty before mm -hmm. and it's almost like oh okay hmm. i let myself get comfortable here we are again one of the reasons that I really wanted to talk to you this week, Nora, is because you're having such a different experience than I'm having and Elena is having because we don't have little kids at home. Have you learned anything about parenting through this? Is there any uh, hard-won kind of epiphanies that you've had? Oh, God. I mean... That sounds okay, like a, so a no. As one of as one of four, which I know you come from a big family too, I always <laughs> felt like I was, you know, not... Uh, like I was never getting enough attention, and somehow that was a a problem that of it. It just pointed to my parents' ineptitude, obviously, that I was not like constantly the center of attention. Mm -hmm. And I've I had this realization yesterday, having a conversation with our middle schooler. I was like, "Listen, 
all parenting is, when you have more than one, is tending to the the most out of control fire. So if you're burning, you got to tell me <laughs> because mm-hmm. we can't tell, like we can't tell. And, uh, and I, I think that I, I sort of let myself forget that when everything was running so smoothly. My husband has been a stay-at-home dad for about six months, which now I am sort of regretting financially, but here we are. Um, and uh, <laughs> and he's just been so on top of stuff and taking care of everything. And, um, and that is such important work, honestly. Holy crap, like having yeah. somebody who can keep the wheels on so you can go do whatever you need to do. Um, and I'm also like, oh, yeah, kids don't need a whole – lot like they actually don't need all of the things that uh are in their room as evidenced by the uh whole I mean that that garbage bags I filled with their um like old McDonald's toys and stuffies which I hope they did not hear they don't need all the activities Are you whispering right now because they're in the other room you don't want them to hear I think we just the heard toys a secret. of theirs that you have unilaterally <laughs> decided don't live at that house She's anymore. looking over yes. her shoulder right now. Yes. <laughs> you are so stressed by this. I am but I'm like I you know, I went on like a little bit of a rage clean the other day and they don't need any of this stuff. They don't need any of these activities. Like they need like, they need a little bit of attention. And I'm like, oh, wait, like, don't we all? Like we're all, this is so weird for all of us. And this is new for all of us. So it sounds like, Nora, the awareness that you've come to, and maybe you've had it for a long time, but what you kind of would like to share with the parents of America who are hearing this is don't put too much pressure on yourself. Oh my God. And also this sucks and it's okay for your kids to not have a blast right now. There's all this pressure to try to dress this up as like a semi-normal time when really this is a remarkable time. And maybe you Mm. should just let that sink in before you, you try to um, make it special. (laughs) Like make yeah. it the the best version sure. of what it can be. It's going to be memorable enough all on its own. Uh, Nora McInerney, thank you so much for stopping by the Livewire House Party and letting us into your home, which it seems um, like a really lively place. Thanks for having me, everyone. That was Nora McInerney from the Livewire House Party, recorded back in March of last year, right at the beginning mm-hmm. of the lockdown. Uh, by the way, an update on Nora. She is still doing her podcast. Terrible thanks for asking. She's still one of the people running Still Kicking, the nonprofit. And also, since we last spoke to her, Elena, she and her entire family have moved from Minnesota to Arizona. Really? Yes. And I asked her today how she's doing down there. I texted her. This is a quote from her. She said, The standards for parenting here are much lower, which is making me happier. (laughs) Go Arizona! (laughs) Submitted without comment from me about the merits of Minnesota versus Arizona. I'm only reporting Nora McInerney's anecdotal experience. The family is doing well down there in Arizona. This is Livewire from PRX. All right. Uh, For me, personally, there is not a musician whose work uh, has been in heavier rotation over the last 20 years of my life than this week's musical guest. In all, he's released 19 studio albums with his band Wilco, uh, as well as his other projects. He's also got a memoir out, and he's basically like my favorite singer on planet Earth. So please, take a listen to this. Jeff Tweedy, welcome to the Livewire House Party. Thank you for having me remotely. Yeah, I, I have been a fan of your music for many, many years and have always really dreamed of getting you 
onto a radio show uh, to interview you. It's sad it took a pandemic for it to happen, but I will <laughs> consider that a silver lining. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I think I like to think that I would. I would have done this if it wasn't for the pandemic. So um, it's just a coincidence, I think. <laughs> well, you've been doing this um, like Instagram uh, show with your family that I have been watching, and it is fascinating, but not even for the reasons <laughs> I was expecting. Like I thought it was going to be a concert, but it's just like a fly on the wall in the Tweety family dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know why we're doing it. I just, but. Uh, <laughs> But it's uh, oddly comforting to us, and it seems to have that same effect on other people somehow. I didn't want it to be like a like a substitute for a concert or that kind of connection. Um, my my feeling is is that everything is so disorienting that being reminded that there is like some normalcy, some shared reality, is maybe helpful to confront the disorienting parts of what's happening. Um, you guys, you tour so much with Wilco in particular. Um, uh, then this is a thing where you obviously can't go anywhere. Is it a, a little bit of a relief to get to be home? Or are you kind of going stir crazy? Um, no, I, 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 I like being home. I like being on the road, but, um, one thing, and I think I've I've seen a lot of people say this. Maybe it's like introverts are are made for this moment in time, and um, I still have a lot of anxiety and a lot of you know uh, you know moments of panic and everything. But for the most part, my days aren't very different from what they are normally. I spend a lot of time in the basement working on music and reading and things like that, and I spend a lot of time at the studio. And I have a very, very small core isolation pod without a pandemic. So, <laughs> right. You're listening to Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're playing an interview we recorded last year with Jeff Tweedy. She was, it's as exciting now as it was when we recorded it, I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to hear some music from Jeff and his kids. So stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to the Live Wire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello and Jeff Tweedy from Wilco. Um, you make music with your kids. We're actually going to hear a song. Mm -hmm. What's that like collaborating with them? And does that like does the parental child dynamic come into play? Well, it's just sort of. I I think it's uh, just a normal activity, like playing catch or something for us. And. Uh, it was really the first when I when I we we were out on the road and and the tour started to fall apart and started getting more and more cancellations and we were we were preparing to kind of lop off the last half of the tour and come home and then um, then all of a sudden like overnight almost everything got canceled so uh, I got home and and almost I think 
I think it was the first day I was home, we started recording a record <laughs> and thinking about making music, you know, in, a, in that context, uh, like it was something to do to take our mind off of everything. Is it because you've made so many records and collaborated in so many different ways over the past couple of decades? Do you think it's it's just sort of you have an impenetrable ability to work? Like come hell or high water, you can get in the chair and make it happen? I, I think it's... Uh... Uh, I think it's for me, it's been a coping mechanism for as long as I can remember uh, for periods where I didn't feel very good, a uh, period where my wife was going through cancer treatment, uh, periods where I was a drug addict and, and un, untreated for depression and, and anxiety and things like that. So it's always been a conflict-free zone for me mm. to be... Um, able to do, sort of disappear in other people's music and other people's art and and for myself personally being able to do it um, is uh, kind of the canary in the coal mine for for uh, if I'm able to do that then I feel like there's some constant that is you know still mm-hmm. still manageable and it's you know, it's definitely been challenging and it's hard not to write about this particular moment I don't know how I don't know how things will translate outside of this 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 period we're in this this uh, indefinite purgatory that we're all in, you know. <laughs> and and maybe maybe things will. Be, I don't. I'm trying not to reference things directly that much with like lyrics I'm writing and things like that. But I don't know. We'll see. Plus, if it, like nothing rhymes with COVID nineteen. Right. Oh, everything <laughs> rhymes with COVID nineteen. <laughs> Pandemic. My, is spleen, also quite my spleen. Uh, <laughs> the teen beats. Yeah. I don't know. You're gonna play a song for us. I understand you. You and your sons. Right. What are we gonna hear? Uh, we're gonna hear one of the songs that we worked on in the last few weeks, and uh, I think it was like the second or third song uh, that we recorded when the. Uh, shelter-in-place order came down. Okay, what's it called? It's called Save It For Me. All right, well, let's take a listen. Save it for me When the world falls apart I can say with certainty There's a reason A light left on in an empty room Is how love can be A rainbow in a mouth of clouds Darkened days, who needs you now? A rainbow Dark in days, who needs me now? Save it for me When the world falls apart I can say with certainty There's a reason There's a pie left out that you can't consume So sweet you cannot eat 
there's a reason no one will call today. The people you lean on don't always know what to say. Save it for me. When the world falls apart, I can say with certainty there's a reason a light left on in an empty room. That's how love can be. It's all love can be. It's all love can be. It's all love can be. That was Jeff Tweedy on the Live Wirehouse Party, recorded last March. Uh, since we recorded that interview and performance, Jeff has published a book called How to Write One Song, <laughs> Loving the Things We Create and How They Love Us Back. He's also got a new album out called Love is the King. It's been feeling very loving during quarantine. Yeah, I think uh, we can all agree. All right, before we get out of here, uh, a little preview of next week's show. Uh, we are going to be talking to David Duchovny, you know, mm. from uh, The X-Files. You might have heard of it. Uh, and then we're going to practice some jump roping. How are your jump roping skills, Elena? Is this the first you're hearing about this? H- hazardous. My skill skill level is, is Dr. Bill. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we'll alert the doctors of Corvallis yeah. <laughs> uh, because we are going to be doing some jump roping next week on the show. Oh, right. And we're also going to be hearing music from an incredible new musician, Jensen McCray. Mm. Uh, so don't miss that. As always, of course, we're also going to get your listener responses to our weekly question, which is where our social media manager, Ariana Donneville, comes in. Ariana, welcome to the program. Hello. How are you at jump roping? You know, I'm pretty good. Yes. I know. Yeah, of course. Right. Thank you, Elena. How are you Did at you blank, mean? Ariana? The answer is yeah. always good. Double dutching was not my thing. Like I can only jump uh, really? with a single rope. Yeah. I'm not coordinated enough I, for double dutch. I would get mesmerized <laughs> by the double dutch when I was a kid, you know, like in grade mm-hmm. school and I'd be trying, trying to get the rhythm, but then I would be afraid I was going to get whacked yeah. Yeah. with the jump rope. So I never had the guts to jump into the thing. Um, all right. I could talk about jump roping for the rest of the show, but we actually have real live wire business here. What is the audience question for next week, Ariana? The question is, what's your hidden talent? Ah. Could be jump rope. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I have like three talents and I talk about them every week on the show. So I don't know. I'm not exactly keeping my sugar on the shelf as the host of this program, but hopefully the live wire audience is full of hidden talents and they'll be telling us about it. What's the best way for them to send in those answers, Ariana? Answers can be submitted on our social channels or on Instagram and Twitter at Livewire Radio, as well as on Facebook. All right. Uh, Thank you very much, Ariana. Uh, That is going to do it for our show this week. A huge thanks to our guests, John Mualem, Nora McInerney, and Jeff Tweedy. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. 
Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. And Ariana Donneville, Jump Rope Queen, is our marketing manager. <laughs> our music is composed by A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixed this episode. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Cultural Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we would like to thank member Kip Silverman of Portland, Oregon, and Travis Spokes of White Plains, New York. For more information about the show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.